Hello everyone, you are listening to the Igbo Initiative podcast with Ugochi Onyewu. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Igbo Initiative podcast, where we celebrate all things Igbo. We speak to amazing women in different walks of life who are either Igbo or who are friends of Igbo culture. Today, we sit down with Nenna Kalu Makanjuola, another awe-inspiring, tenacious woman. Nenna is the founder and editor-in-chief of Radiant Health magazine. Her lifelong commitment to improving health outcomes for Africans began with her work as a pharmacist. She earned her Doctor of Pharmacy PharmD degree from Texas Tech University and her Master's in Public Health from Columbia University. Radiant Health is a biannual print and digital magazine dedicated to the African woman and her journey to wellness through health, beauty and culture. The magazine's mission, in their own words, is to tell our own health stories and inspire African women to live out their healthiest and most fulfilled life. Nenna has been featured in How We Made It in Africa, Voice of America, Why Niger's Leading Ladies Africa, She Leads Africa, and was recently named one of 41 Nigerian women entrepreneurs putting the country on the global business map, by Lionesses of Africa. She was also a media panel speaker at the 24th annual Wharton Africa Business Forum at the Wharton School. In today's episode, we discuss the impact that her mother had on her life as her number one cheerleader. We talk about her fond memories of Christmas in her village of Abriba. We also talk about the challenges of running a magazine and what keeps her going when things get tough. Finally, we talk about the next issue of the magazine, which will be available in just a few weeks in June. Good morning, Nana. I'm so excited to talk to you today. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yes. Thank you for having me. Of course. I've heard so much about you, so I'm really interested to chat to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Turns out we we have so many mutual friends, right? I (laughs) know. Such a small world. Yeah. It's great to have you. Great to have you. To kick off the discussion, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just give us a little background, you know, where were you born? Where in Igbo land are you originally from? Let the audience get to know you a little bit. Um, okay, sure. That's always a loaded question, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a bit about you, but that's fine. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I was born in London. Okay. Many moons ago. Yeah, I was born in London. And then my family moved back to Nigeria. I was very young. And I grew up in Aba. We we lived in Lagos very briefly and moved to Aba, which is where I grew up. Mm. Uh, that's where I spent most of my formative years till seventeen, eighteen, almost eighteen, when my family moved back to the moved to the U.S. Mm. But we're from Abriba. Abriba is in um, that's my my village is in Abia State. So growing up. Growing up in Aba was really. I had an idyllic childhood. I loved every bit of my time growing up there. Mm. And, um, you know, for me, growing up in, a, in an Igbo household, was we spoke Igbo at home. It wasn't like, 
you know, when you grow up in Aba, it's a very Igbo city. So <laughs> yes. everybody, everybody around me spoke Igbo at home. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's not like living in a place where your own language wasn't the primary language. Mm. So I felt very immersed in Igbo culture. And Abba is only about maybe two two hours or less from from Abiba, where my family is from. Mm. So, you know, we went back and, well, I wouldn't say we went that often, but going to the village wasn't as much as a hassle for mm-hmm. us compared to people who were coming far off from maybe from the north or from Lagos, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it was good. Yeah, interesting. And and do you still speak Igbo fluently now or have you found that it's getting a little rusty being in the U.S.? <sighs> so, you know, that's funny. So growing up, I actually spoke, you know, the Abiba language is very, it's a very different kind of Igbo language. Yes. So it's a mix of, you know, we migrated from Enang, which is closer to the Cross River. Yes area so our language is sort of mixed with maybe traditional ethic mm-hmm. and it, so it's not your conventional Igbo language mm-hmm. but growing up in Aba I was able to speak um, you know the more central Igbo language that is more uni- universal mm. and then I went away to school I went to federal Calabar you know mm. and after that I didn't really speak the um, the, the Central Igbo language. So I speak mostly the Abiba version of yeah, it. <laughs> so yeah. that's, yeah. So that's why, I mean, I still speak that a lot when I'm talking to my family or to people from my from my place. Mm-hmm. But I'm also married to a Yoruba man. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't <laughs> I don't speak a li- I don't speak any Yoruba and he doesn't speak any Igbo. Yeah. So it's been <laughs> so, so it's... we end up communicating in English. But I think I don't feel rusty at I mean, I would say that I'm not rusting Abiba until, mm. this time, you know, I'm trying to say something and I can't believe I've forgotten a word. But <laughs> for the most part, I'm very fluent. Yeah. Now, I have a, I have a 10-year-old who, who is trying to learn, you know, he, I, I teach him Igbo, especially when, when we're getting ready. We just, I, you know, we try to infuse some Igbo words in the morning. <laughs> and he's been going, going out. Now, when he goes to Igbo events, he comes home and he's like, Mom, I, I don't want to learn Abreva anymore because nobody can understand me. <laughs> he says, you teach me, teach me the other Igbo. I said, yes, I will. But even that, you know, when yeah. I start going in that direction, I'm like, ah, this is too, it's hard. you know, this is too too hard yeah yes. my, my default is the Arabic. Yeah. so I still speak I still speak Igbo well, well. you know yeah. it's it's great and it's funny I had this discussion with another guest on the show who has an Igbo podcast and she was talking about accents and how it's funny how you know like for example someone from Denmark could be speaking to someone from Norway and they're speaking different languages but they can still understand each other um, and she was talking yeah. about the Igbo and how we shouldn't focus so much on accents I know it's hard because Abriba is very unique I know that it's like Ohafia Item kind of yes, yes, yes. yes. And I had a really close friend um, who was from Item, and she could speak obviously mm. Central Igbo, which is how we communicated. But when she was speaking with her people, I'm like, what? It doesn't even sound like Igbo. You know? <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard to, to, yeah, it's hard, but it's really interesting. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, some, before I would say that, oh, it's almost the same. But then 
when I'm now that I'm trying to teach my son the other side, <laughs> I realize they're not <laughs> they're quite different. Yeah. You know, I used to think, oh, they're not that different, mm-hmm. but then I realized almost everything I've taught him, I have to change it. You know, yes. so yeah. And I think also because I'm from Oweri and we have a distinct um, dialect as well. But I think, yes, I, le- yeah, I learned to speak Oweri Igbo. But I will say that, and you learning to speak Abreba, and even your son, I think that with Central Igbo, if you learn a distinct dialect, I think you can understand Central Igbo. However, if you learn Central Igbo, you may not be able to understand the distinct dialect as well. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. So, yes, we, yes, yeah. yes. so I think it's, yeah, even though your son wants to learn Central Igbo, I think growing up learning Abriba, he'll still be able to understand Central. It's just that they may not be able to understand him so well. <laughs> well, I've always wondered about that, you know, which one would make it easier for you to understand the other you know yes. should i teach him everybody and then he can understand the central yes. or should i teach him you know so i don't know i might have to test that out yeah <laughs> let me know how that goes i just think it's great that you're teaching him whatever it is whatever dialect i think it's great i think it's great <laughs> that's what i said eventually i just said you know <laughs> at least we're trying so exactly. let's not let's not get too cut up <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. and you know before we kind of move on to where you are today i just want to ask you a little bit about your childhood because you grew up in Aba, you spent a lot of years and it was pretty close to Abriba. Yes. So I'm sure you were exposed to different events, albeit, you know, like traditional weddings or Igbo mass or Igbo Christian services or whatever. And I, I'm just curious from your perspective, what event from Igbo culture stands out to you the most and why? Because I think when we grow up, it's funny the things that really make an impact on us, you know, that we don't realize, you know, and we're like looking back on our childhood, it might be just one event that really stands out. So I'm just curious as to what mm-hmm. that is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I've always had a love for certain traditions, like the real the the real deep traditions, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, as a child, the, the one I loved the most was Christmas. So it's, I wouldn't say it's traditional in that sense, but mm-hmm. that's, I really loved going back to the village yes. for Christmas. The air was just different, yes. the crisp air. It seemed yeah. like everything was, was just, um, you know, it was relaxed. Yeah, and I yes. loved that. And yes. I loved waking up on Christmas morning, watching. I, I mean, now it sounds so cruel when you say it in the U.S., but, you know, <laughs> watching the Christmas good go down. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and the chicken, I mean, you yes. wake up early in the morning and just hope they haven't flooded the goods, yes. you know, before you got to watch it. Yes. So, um, so that, to me, that was really my favorite ritual, watching mm-hmm. the goats and mm-hmm. the chickens get mm-hmm. slaughtered. Yes. And I loved also the masquerades. We call them April. Yes. You know, I loved watching masquerades. I mean, those were such, those were simpler times. I don't yeah. know if those things even exist now, but I, I know, know. you'll be home. The, the young troops would be walking by. Yeah. You would call them over. They would come in and dance for you. Yes. You give them some money. Yes. Sometimes you venture out. Yes. You see the bigger ones and then they chase you. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and you run back home. And there are all these um, things that people say about them. Or if they catch you, this would happen. Yeah. You, you know, I don't yeah. even know why. I guess just the thrill mm-hmm. of it. We mm-hmm. would go um, seeking these equals to chase us back home. Yes. So... And, you know, they love it when they see people, I guess they can smell all the people that have come from 
outside of, you know, people that are returning from all the cities. So they really like to pick on us. Yeah, yeah they would pick on you. But that was, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, it was fun. So, yeah, so that, yeah, so that's my, you know, childhood memory, mm-hmm. the traditions that I enjoyed the most. But yeah. I, I also really love the Abriba tradition from the, you know, the way that they initiate the, the male children from, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> from when they're young to adulthood, mm. you know, but that's, that's a, when you're a young boy, they have this thing they call Ibanono, which is where you, you supposedly go into a forest mm. and you kill a bird and you have to wear it around your, you know, your neck in mm. a bowl mm. and you go around the village and there's a way they would call, they would call you when they see you walking, they would call you and you run, there's a call and response. And it's just like the boys' first initiation into manhood. And you do that all day. At the end, you would have a boy chase you. And if you make it to the other side without him catching you, you've passed the final test. So, and then it just builds on, you know, I wish they had something like that for girls. But I I just love the, um, it it makes me realize how organized even our traditional societies were, Mm. you know. So even when they become young men, there's another, you know, I guess maybe early 20s and then there's at their prime, there's another one. At the end, there's a retirement. Mm. But even at each stage, there's an obligation uh, to the village. So you would see the hospitals, the schools, all the amenities we have in the village Mm. are all built by this age grade Mm -hmm. system because when they get Mm -hmm. to a certain point they have to contribute and then at the end when you formally retire that means you've retired from being burdened by the Mm. business of of the village you know Mm. so I I just love the idea of the process and Mm. the organization that we've always had as a people Mm. and I, I know this might not be Perhaps this um, side of the tradition might be unique to the Abriva people, mm-hmm. but I think that other villages yes. in Imo land and mm-hmm. probably elsewhere mm-hmm. have always had an organized system yes. of how they govern themselves. So, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you know, where we had the age grade, just like you, like the... Um, Oh gosh, every yeah. every your every age group, you know, um, yeah, where you your your your, and then you see you kind of grow up together, you age together, you go through the different phases yes. of life together, you're accountable to each other, and yeah, I yeah. think it's amazing, and and this is kind of where I my passion comes in, just to keep these traditions alive, you know, and celebrate yeah. them, you know, and, and make sure that they, they don't die with the language, you know, which is uh, a yeah. huge passion of mine. So I'm, I'm glad you shared yeah. that. It, it's so great. And, you know, I, I have memories of Christmas as well. In fact, I can still remember the process of killing the goat. <laughs> I know exactly how it happens, you know. Yes. <laughs> we won't go into too much detail here, but I can, I can no, write an essay <laughs> on how to yes. slaughter a goat for Christmas. The thing is, you know, I would watch every year but i can't eat goat meat for that reason i just can't you know but it's, oh, really? that's another story that's yeah. another story so talk to us you grew up in Aba, you spent your childhood there and then you moved to the u.s so talk us through your journey to where you are today you know how did you get from Aba to to where you are today uh talk us through that please yeah um so i said well i did go you know i moved to calabar for my for secondary school, mm-hmm. I was there till you know the, the the usual six years, and I I did a year of uh, 
university at UNN mm-hmm. at Nsuka campus. Mm-hmm. And in 95, my whole, my family, my whole family moved to the U S mm. and I was studying pharmacy in like at UNN. And when I came here, I continued with my, with my pharmacy degree. And then I finished in O2. I worked briefly as a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked about three years. I practiced about three years. And then I went back to school to um, get my degree in public health. Mm-hmm. And the, the background, you know, to this is what, while we were living in Nigeria, my dad got quite sick. Mm-hmm. And so I was probably about 10 or 11 when he needed his first um, open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And that surgery was not available in Nigeria, mm-hmm. which was, I mean, that part of it caught me off guard, you know, because it's like in Nigeria, there's a doctor in every family. Yes. You know? yes. It, it just never, it just never occurs to me mm. that there would be a medical need in Nigeria that yes. we, that wouldn't be available, Isn't right? Something, because yes. mm-hmm. there's so much emphasis on oh, study medicine, mm-hmm. study medicine. That, mm-hmm. that was one of the first things that went through my young mind. You know, what do you mean? The surgery is not available in Nigeria, mm. but anyway, it wasn't. So my dad came to the U.S. and and even back then, I think it, even an open head surgery in the U.S. was quite a novelty on its own. Mm. So with thinking ninety one ish around that time, mm. and well, I guess I was a little <laughs> over ten, but around ninety one, mm-hmm. and he had his head surgery. Came back to Nigeria, we had to manage it. Of course, the post care in Nigeria. The medicines were not mm. always available. They had to be shipped from the U.S. Mm. And then he needed to have these um, regular lab checkups just to make sure that the drug level was where it should be. And I remember then he would have to drive to um, um, Inugu University Teaching Hospital, mm. Inugu, I think it was. Mm. So, you know, just imagine the mm. sort of energy that went into, yeah. you know, post-care and um we we he also came back with this um i guess instruction to follow a heart healthy diet mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and in nigeria you don't really know what's good you know it's like oh palm oil is good palm oil is not good you know yeah you can eat gary no yeah. samovita no yeah. samolina no yeah. you know it's like we just weren't yeah. sure what to eat we cut out the palm oil mm. and Unfortunately, our foods have not been defined, you know, like mm. foods from other countries are even till today mm. still a struggle. If you want to know, can I eat a goose? Is it good for me? Yes. You don't know what's yes. in it, you know? Yes. So those were all the struggles um, that we had, which at, at that young age, I was really becoming interested in population health. I didn't have a word for it, you know. Yeah. I was becoming interested in public health, organizational health systems health how do you build a system a health system where you can actually have an open heart surgery if you wanted to mm. but you know back mm. then all you know is doctor and yeah. <laughs> yeah. so even even studying pharmacy was already a, a taboo on its own <laughs> but um <laughs> so it, it was in pharmacy school that i, I started to piece the, the put the puzzle together and i finally realized that you know the thing that I had been interested in is called public health. Mm. So I knew even before I finished pharmacy school that I was going to um, 
to venture into public health. So I, pra- I practiced for about three years and then I went into, I went back to school mm. and um, got my MPH mm. and began working mostly in public health mm. afterwards. Mm. And, you know, when you think of public health, I, I mean, I was, I was also a little bit disappointed because when we think of African health, we always think of the village, you know, yes. village health. If yes. you think of it, all these big NGOs, it's always like, oh, yes. let's go to the village yes. and bring them medicine. And, yes. you know, it's always, I, I call it village health, you yes. know, but so it's always this rural health mentality, mm-hmm. which is not to say that mm-hmm. there's not a need there. Mm-hmm. But for me, the, you know, the encounters that I've had in Nigeria are, people like my father, people mm. with diabetes, people mm. who just dropped dead, hypertension. Mm-hmm. It was so I decided to take a break and figure out exactly what I wanted to do and hopefully find a way to re enter the public health sector, working primarily in non communicable disease as it relates to um to African countries. Mm-hmm. And it was during this break that the idea for Radiance came to me. Mm-hmm. So I was just, um, I was out one morning running. One, one of the other things that I realized really is that our problem is also in how to, um, how to take in health information, you know, because mm-hmm. even people who are educated, you hear this constantly. Oh, you know, my auntie has diabetes. Um, she's taking this medicine, or I, I, but I hear if you eat quail eggs, you know, it would cure the diabetes. Oh, <laughs> you know, wow, they're yes. always, and, and these, these are always, these are coming from educated people, right? Yes. Because once you have a problem, you would do whatever you need to do to find a solution exactly. to it, you know, exactly. and the kinds of questions that were coming my way would be, I would be like, really, you know? Mm. So I realized that, and then, it was also the age of the internet, right? Where people would Google things and they're not able to decipher between, you know, what's credible mm. health information. It's like everything online was sort of the gospel yeah. and not being able to tell, mm-hmm. you know, to tell good information from not good information. Mm-hmm. So I, it was during this time I was, I was out jogging one morning and the idea for radiance, I just, I was pondering like I usually do, just thinking about Nigeria and health and all that. And I just heard a whisper to start a health magazine, mm. you know? Mm. Uh, yeah. And that was funny to me because I don't know anything about magazines. Mm. I don't even know if I, if I read magazines mm. at that point. Mm. And, but I, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, you know, this could be, this could be something. So, mm. It was a really long run. I think I was training for something, but it was like, <laughs> it was probably like, it's, I think it was a 10 mile run that mm. morning. So by the time I was done going and coming back, I just thought, you know, I'm going to do this. Mm. And I, I got home and I Googled how to start a health magazine. Mm. And that's how Radiance was born. Wow. Yeah. That's, I love, I, I love hearing stories like this. I love hearing stories <laughs> like this. So, Talk to us about what Radiant is for those in the audience that haven't read the magazine or haven't heard about it. Talk to us about it. Yes. So Radiant is a health magazine for the African woman. 
Mm. You know, it's published twice a year. It comes out June and November, and it's published as a coffee table book. So it's a really thick book. Mm. It's, it's gorgeous. Mm. And the idea for it is to be able to um, talk about health and wellness with the African context in mm. mind. So it uh, caters to women of African descent, mm. whether they're in diaspora or they're back home. Mm. And we it centers on health and wellness, on fitness, nutrition, style, beauty, culture, mm. and body and and body and mind. Wow. Each issue we always have. Um, so it, you know, so it, it to me, you know, people always say don't call it. And when people see this, oh, don't call this a magazine. I don't have another word for it <laughs> other than <laughs> other than a magazine. It's a mm. coffee table book mm. magazine, right. and with very ambitious journalism. So wow. we don't skimp on on content. So mm. we go really deep on each issue is um, themed. So we go very deep into the issues. And there's always a story um, mm. from back home. Mm. Usually it's, it's in Nigeria, but there's always a very a strong um, editorial mm. on a strong feature about an issue that affects us at home so the mm. story comes directly from home mm. and um yeah so each issue has that and it, it always seems to be <laughs> to be a favorite e- feature for for the readers yes but yeah and each section we of course feature women um from the whole african continent you know women in, that embodies that section and what they're doing to also inspire other women. So the, mm. the goal really is to inspire us to live our healthiest and most fulfilling, you know, most fulfilled life. I love it. I, I love that. it. I love yeah. it. I love it. So when do you start putting the magazine issue together? You talked about it being twice a year and it being a coffee table books. So I can imagine it's thick and there's a lot to your point. There's a lot of content. When do you start to put it together? Oh, it takes us all six months wow. to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's quite a process because we have to shoot the we have to shoot the covers, the cover stories of the cover people, and then we have to shoot all some of the other um, photos that go into it, mm. and then we have to then sit down and discuss the same. Usually, which um, usually with the each issue, I always have a theme in mind. I feel like growing up in Nigeria, there's so much I want to talk about, right? <laughs> Especially from a woman's from a woman's yes. perspective. Yes. So we haven't run out of themes yet. <laughs> <laughs> you probably <laughs> never always, will. <laughs> you know, probably no, never no, will. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to talk about. Okay. So we we sit down and discuss about discuss the theme. And then figure out what what stories we want to tell, mm. and then we go out. If we don't have the writers for it, you know, there's always the part of looking for the writers that can write the stories that we want, mm. and of course, booking all the interviews that mm. we need to book to mm. get it done. Mm. And you know, it, it's a whole process from from production interviews getting it ready for print, designing mm. the magazine, wow. getting it printed, mm. and then getting it off to to the stores, mm. the 
yeah. Wow. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what goes on behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Can, yeah, yeah, it is. And there are a lot of tiny details I can only imagine, you know, like from booking the people who will agree to do the interviews, finding the writers. I mean, the list goes on. This is me on the outside, just trying to imagine what goes yes. into it. Yeah. Kudos to you. Yeah. And we have a very lean team. Yes. So, you know, it's not that we have, it's not like we have a huge department of people trying to put this together. Mm. So it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a small but mighty team of yeah. committed people. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Committed. That's the word, right? So talking about commitment, yes. What are some of the challenges of running a magazine? And what keeps you going in spite of those challenges? What is your why? Hmm. Yeah, so, the, you know, the challenges for me, you know, would be just the idea of having a grand, this grand vision that you're trying to execute with limited resources, you know, so you have to get creative mm -hmm. in um, how you get your vision put together mm. because you know it's not that we we don't have a big budget trying mm. to do this mm. and so I think you know for me that would be probably <laughs> one of the things that gives me the biggest headaches mm. you know trying to create something beautiful and something with such impact mm. and do it very well yeah and to be able to do it with you know, the constraints of a nimble, nimble team. Mm. <laughs> and my why, you know, I, I don't even know if, if I would say that my why has <laughs> evolved over time, but, you know, naturally I just love things being done well. Yes. So it's really hard for me to, you know, even I joke about this with my team. Sometimes when the issue is done, every, you know, People are saying, oh, my God, it's so amazing. Mm. It's so gorgeous. But it's, sometimes when it's done, I don't want to see it again. Because yes. all I can see, I, I only see the things <laughs> that I wanted to do, but yeah. <laughs> I didn't get to do or the things I wish I did differently. Mm. But, mm. you know, mm. I just, um, I don't know. I just have that drive. That mm. and I, I don't know where it comes from. But yeah. the drive to put out the best work yeah. that I can. Mm -hmm. And the women that it's impacting the feedback that I get about mm. the magazine and you know where it's a very bold it's very bold magazine we're not afraid to go places mm -hmm. and so it many women really connected it mm. Mm. that's great yeah. that's great you talked about the feedback being important too it sounds like you're a perfectionist which is why you're successful there, there does need to be a little bit of that perfectionist gene <laughs> to drive for the best but it's like better you never achieve the best you just keep getting better and better right so um yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's me. a bit tiresome but you know i can't help it yes exactly <laughs> I'm, I'm giving up i'm not fighting it anymore yeah. <laughs> So I guess you learned that you're a perfectionist during this process, obviously. What other, what other lessons do you think you've learned about yourself because of this journey and this process? Um, I learned that I can do hard things, you know? So, mm -hmm. And that, every, you know, anything that there's a, there's a lady, her name is Marie Folio, and she's mm -hmm. very well known in the business world. And she has mm -hmm. this saying that everything is, 
figureoutable. Yes. And for me, I really know that that is true and that I can do hard things. I don't have any background whatsoever in publishing. You know, it really was just me and the Google. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And that's how, you know, Radiance has been able to go from not literally Googling how to start a magazine to where we are today. Wow. So that's been my my biggest lesson and of course it carries on into other things Mm -hmm. you know when there's something that you've never done before you know I just know okay we've never done it but we're going to figure out a way to to do it wow that's great so what would you do differently Nana if you had it to do all over again knowing what you know now what would you do differently hindsight is 2020 Hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't know. I mean, in hindsight, there are so many things that I could do differently, but I don't know that I would do that. You know, mm-hmm. I would still pick this journey yes. the way that it, it's gone. I would pick it again. Yeah. And because it's true, the challenges that you're refined by those challenges yes. and there's just no way to bypass them, yes. really. Yes. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah, there's no shortcut. That's true. It's like you. But there's no shortcut. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would, I would like to really do some, you know, some lovely tips, but mm. they're just inevitable. There's mm. no way you would. You know, it's part of the process. Yeah. And I think that in itself, yeah, I think that in itself is a great tip, right? Because we we constantly kind of look back and say, oh, if I could do it again, I would have done it this way. If I'd known now, if I'd known then what I know now, I'd have done it this way. But you wouldn't be the person you are today if it hadn't been for the process you'd gone through. So I think it's a great reminder. I'm glad you, that's a great answer. Yeah, yeah. So what piece of advice have, did you receive from an elder, whether it was, you know, your dad or an uncle or a mentor that has stood out to you the most and that you, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, uh, try to follow? Well, this one I would have to hand to my mom. Okay, so, excellent. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure that it's an advice per se, as much as it is the way that she just brought us up. Mm. I've just always had this sense, my, you know, if you tell my mom you're going to be a truck pusher, she would say, wow, well, mm. what truck should we get? Is it going to be a blue one or a red mm. one? You know, that's, mm. my, that's how my mom responds yeah. to, to things. So there's always been that sort of can-do, mm. you know, can-do attitude, mm-hmm. you know, and just being able to embrace what it is that you want to do, mm. you know. Even though growing up in in Nigerian society and maybe from my, I can't say that. I, I feel like there was a pressure, you know, some sort of expectations mm. of, you know, the way that what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But at least from my mom's part, I always knew she always had a way of making, you know, I mean, I don't care what you tell her you want to do. Mm. <laughs> it would just be like the best thing in the world, wow. you know, and I'm a mom. I still don't know how she's able to react that way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so genuine. Mm. So that's really one of the things that carries me through. I just feel like she, even if she doesn't know what, what I'm doing, mm. there's always that. I know for sure that there's that one person that mm. thinks whatever I'm doing right now yes. is the best thing in the world I yes. could be doing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> what drives you, Nena? What gets you up in the morning excited and, you know, ready to face the day? You know, I I really love 
I love what I'm doing right now. So as challenging as it might be, I can't really imagine doing anything else. Mm. And I just, I just love, I love what I'm doing. Mm. So it's not that hard for me to get up and want to give it another try, you know? So when you're at the point where things are not working out, but you're not necessarily thinking of giving up, you're just thinking of, oh gosh, what what else can I do, Mm. you know? Mm. And Mm. yeah, so that Mm. for me, that's my that's my driving force and I think you can also love more than one thing you know it's not like the magazine is the you know only thing that I may want to do Mm. or that I you know I I have I would not other interests but I have expertise in other areas but I think whatever it is that I'm doing just because I love what I'm doing or Mm. how I'm applying my expertise Mm. that's what makes makes it all worthwhile and makes it easy for me to get up and want to try again yeah yeah great that's great so talk to us about you have an issue coming up in uh june i believe next month um in a few weeks actually talk to us about that what can we expect to see where can we get a copy how can we um follow you do you have a platform talk to us about the issue first and then we'll talk about how people can read yes sure well, this is lucky number 13. <laughs> so issue 13 is coming out and it's a taboo issue. I, I already mentioned that our issues are all themes. So this yes. is a taboo issue. Oh, wow. And in this issue, we'll be exploring some um, health and wellness topics that we're usually shy, that we usually shy away from, either mm. because of cultural norms or mm. just um, as we, you know, the way, um, I, I guess as women, yeah. <laughs> the way the society has come down on us as mm. women, and these are things that we shouldn't talk about. Mm. So we're going to be exploring those topics in every section of the of the magazine. So it's shaping up to be a really exciting one. The you know uh, my whole team is excited about this one, oh. and we're just um, we're working away right now, put, um, trying to put our finishing touches and uh, head off to print. Mm. very soon mm. the magazine is available in stores um mm-hmm. in at least four continents now so mm. it's in the u.s at Barnes and noble stores and mm. other independent retailers mm. it's in the uk at several bookstores it's in asia somewhere i think in tokyo mm-hmm. and then in nigeria in africa it's in nigeria um roving heights bookstore store mm. but the, com- there's a complete list of all the stores on on the website mm-hmm. where where we stuff with in and of course people can always order from the website directly mm-hmm. we ship worldwide so okay. um yeah okay tell us your website i'll put it in the show notes but tell us what that is uh, yes the website is radianthealthmag.com mm-hmm. and our instagram is Radiant Health Mag. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook is Radiant Health Mag. Mm-hmm. Twitter is Radiant Health NG. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, yeah, Radiant is, um, Twitter is Radiant Health NG. Okay, perfect. But perfect. once you get to the website, there will be a link to all the other social media platforms where we can be found. 
So this has been so awesome. I'm so proud of you and uh, we wish you well. I know you're really busy putting the final touches in a few weeks. So I have to say, I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to me. And I, for one, I'm extremely excited about this issue. I'm going to be uh, first in line to get my coffee. And uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Nana. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you. I always feel so energized after each episode, and I really hope that you feel the same way. Please visit the website to access today's show notes, where I provide details on how to access the latest issue of Radiant Health coming out in just a few weeks in June. To access today's show notes, please visit the website and click on episodes. The website address is www.theebo.com. Send me a note. I would love to hear from you to hear about suggestions for what you would like to hear more about. You can do this via the website or email me at ugochi at Please tell your friends about the podcast and provide a rating on iTunes if you can. It would really mean a lot to me. In the next episode, we talk to Linda Oramashiomo, a venture capitalist and founder of Kupanda Capital. Please do tune in. Thanks again, as always, for listening, and we'll see you the next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.